In the hustle of the ever-demanding online world, sometimes you just want a break. And last week, many of us got that break, whether we were ready or not. Massive and mysterious, a global outage taking down Facebook around the world for hours, along with Instagram and WhatsApp, which Facebook owns. For six hours, Facebook, Instagram, and WhatsApp, all owned by the same parent company, were inaccessible to the 3.5 billion people who use them. People who couldn't use Instagram spent the day posting their weekend pumpkin patch selfies on LinkedIn. (laughs) Personally, I loved it. The freedom to be free of the constant notifications and the need to check in and on what everyone else is doing. But the same was not true for everyone. In many parts of the world, the outage hurt businesses, government programs, and healthcare systems. You'll be surprised with the number of small businesses that depend on Facebook, Instagram, and WhatsApp for operation. At least 200 million businesses. And every such outage hits their revenue. The October 4th outage exposed just how extensive Facebook's communications empire is and left people wondering if it's a monopoly that needs to be broken up. I'm Malika Bilal, and this is The Take. When Facebook went dark because of what it called a faulty configuration change, it was WhatsApp users who seemed the most flummoxed. Across Asia, Africa, and South America, the app has come to replace texting, calling, and video chatting. So, understandably, to produce this episode, we relied heavily on WhatsApp voice notes to hear from people around the globe about how the outage affected them personally. Ruchi Kumar is one of them. I'm an independent journalist, and I've worked in Afghanistan for over seven years. I was there early August, and I had to leave a few days before the fall of Kabul. Ruchi got out of Afghanistan, but a lot of the people she cares about are still there. I have many close friends who were at very high risk after the fall of Kabul. So it became very imperative for us to try and ensure to get them out of uh, Afghanistan. So now she co-leads a WhatsApp support group for Afghans trying to leave the country. The group of volunteers pool their resources, knowledge, and contacts to coordinate logistics. They help find routes out of Afghanistan, provide security information, explain financial needs and what documents people need to bring with them. They even prepare applications and write email drafts for Afghans to try and ease the process. On certain days, it becomes really important for us to be online because of uh, the kind of work that we are doing, the kind of support that we are providing. And October 4th was one of those days. On the day of the crash, we were coordinating with some of our friends who were in hiding, trying to keep them up to date because some of them were scheduled for a flight on the next morning. But when WhatsApp went down, it became really hard to get in touch with some of them. But it was even harder for them because they couldn't get in touch with us. So they started to panic. Many of them thought that it was the Taliban who had introduced a social media blackout. And there was a lot of fear, there was a lot of concern. People who were supposed to be on the early morning flight, they stayed up most of the night trying to reach out to us. Basically, there was a lot of panic because of this, a lot of emotional, mental stress that was caused to Afghans. Luckily, the people that we were 
in contact with were safe. Many of them were able to get out, but it was a really bad few hours. It was a terrible time. And it wasn't as funny as it was to the rest of the world. As some of them told us, it was a matter of life and death. A matter of life and death. Not words we think to associate with social media, but they came up more than once in the voice notes we received. Dr. Sanjay Nagral in Mumbai, India, told us he and his colleagues coordinate patient care on WhatsApp because it's more efficient than other communication options. But then what happens when WhatsApp fails them too? On the 4th of October evening, we were trying to coordinate emergency treatment for a patient who was sick and needed emergency surgery. As is our practice, we were using WhatsApp group that we have in place for many years, which coordinates treatment plan, which coordinates communication, which is used to share CT scan reports, blood tests. And we suddenly realized that uh, WhatsApp was down. And of course, we scrambled to then use telephone calls across a group of at least seven or eight of our surgical colleagues. Dr. Nagral and his colleagues were able to support their patient, but it was an arduous process. And the extra coordination took away from time the doctors could have been spending on other people who needed them. Over and over, while hearing these stories, we were thinking about the fact that Facebook, WhatsApp, and Instagram are apps people choose to use. No one is forcing them. And yet, they're everywhere. More than 2 billion people use WhatsApp. A quarter of them are in India and Brazil alone. Facebook is the world's biggest social media network by far. It connects 3 billion people. That's nearly 40% of the global population. WhatsApp is not the predominant means of communication in the West. It is in Brazil and India. And in those two countries, users can send and receive money over WhatsApp too. It's become a one-stop shop for conversation, sales, wire transfers, marketing, all of that. Brazil is Facebook's third largest market. More than half of the population there is on WhatsApp. Each person we heard from, from all over the world, had a reason for why they're so dependent on WhatsApp. My name is Edita Noreiko. I am the co-founder of Four House, a real estate agency that helps foreigners from all over the world to find their home in Mexico City. All our potential clients are on Facebook. Our clients are 30 plus years old. Right now, there's no other platform where we are sure that we can find them. If Facebook and WhatsApp disappear, we will adopt for sure, but will be complicated and our profits will be seriously affected for a while. My name is Lyle Hussein and I'm the founder of Edespen. We sell intentional decor centered around Islamic reminders, values, and art. As a small business, we depend on Instagram and Facebook to find and connect with our customers. We are very reliant on these channels, and this is a wake-up call for me to diversify. But it's somewhat difficult. We really don't have the bandwidth, resources, or even the budget. My name is Maritza Felix. 
I am an immigrant journalist from Mexico living in Arizona. I'm an independent journalist, and I am also the founder of Connect Arizona. We need to frame this conversation as how different it is for a white person living in the United States that have never migrated, they don't have any ties with other parts of the world, and for migrant communities that are always more vulnerable to this kind of issues. Maritza says in her experience, different communities interact with Facebook's apps in completely different ways. But there's no doubt that the company built up this global dependence by buying up its competition. Remember, WhatsApp and Instagram were independent companies, competitors to Facebook just years ago. Millions of people had signed up for those services, and then Facebook bought them out to eliminate the competition. This is a point we saw all over the place in reaction to the October 4th outage. Here's New York Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. Both of these, frankly, were successful independent apps until Facebook identified them as a competitive threat and decided to purchase them due to monopolistic anti-competitive behavior. Maybe we should be asking ourselves why one company is trying to monopolize the internet, communication platforms, and digital commerce, and maybe we should break them up. Ironically, she posted that on Instagram because that's the easiest way for her to share her thoughts on a large scale. Twitter is for bite-sized content. Messaging apps like Signal and Telegram are alternatives to WhatsApp, but they don't offer business services, and they're not as popular. You can't switch over completely to a new app if the people you want to talk to aren't on it. Facebook provides a lot of the world's communication needs, but that also means it controls them. And that happened because the U.S. government allowed it to. Now it's trying to undo that, and Facebook is fighting back. In fact, on October 4th, while the global outage was happening... Facebook asked a judge to dismiss the Federal Trade Commission's antitrust law suit against it, which seeks to force it to sell Instagram and, and WhatsApp. The FTC says that Facebook has monopoly power in social networking. Facebook, though, says the FTC is ignoring reality. To better understand what the U.S. Federal Trade Commission calls Facebook's near-monopolistic power, we reached out to Alex Harmon. He's a competition policy advocate at the nonprofit Public Citizen. We believe that competition brings about more opportunities for consumers to have choice, for workers to have places to work, and for innovation to be able to come about. We get more ideas when there are more people thinking about how to solve problems. You are a big advocate for breaking up big companies like Facebook. Would you characterize Facebook as a monopoly? I would. It's hard sometimes to get people to think about monopoly in the way that we think about Facebook, because there are other companies. There are other social media companies and online platforms. But when Facebook products went down worldwide, I saw a stat that internet traffic went down, right? So people were literally logging off when they couldn't get on Facebook. People didn't have an alternative that they would replace Facebook with. It's interesting because basically it sounds like what you're saying is that for many people, Facebook is the internet. So on the day of the outage, you had this tweet that said, if we broke up Facebook, 
Only one of Facebook, Instagram, or WhatsApp would be down. Break them up. So can you tell me more about that perspective? What exactly would breaking them up look like? It's a legal process, and it's a process that it's happened before. It happened in the more distant past with different industries like railroads and oil. It happened with AT&T. That was in 1984. The Bell System Company, as it was known at the time, was massive. It controlled 90% of phone service in the U.S., and 100% of long-distance calls. At the time, people rented, not bought, phones. And they did that almost exclusively from the Bell system. Here was a commercial the company ran in 1976. Three out of four phones in the country are Bell. Bell assets are worth 12 times Fort Knox. I mean, we're big. Yet, you gotta be big to meet a big nation's needs, today as well as tomorrow. Competition advocates like Alex say that breaking it up into AT&T and a bunch of smaller companies spurred innovation. And that's what they want to do again with Facebook. Facebook has these three core businesses of the website, Instagram and, and WhatsApp. And so our thinking on those three businesses is that they would be separated. They would no longer be controlled and owned by a single entity. It wouldn't just be... Oh, a broken up Facebook means three companies at the end. It means it'd be easier for existing platforms to compete more directly and for new ones to emerge. But it would also mean that they would make choices about how they deal with security, how they deal with privacy, how they deal with content. And consumers would have a set of options or a set of different experiences that would inform how much they engage with that particular platform. And ideally lead to an overall better experience. What efforts are being made to strengthen antitrust laws in the U.S.? Um, well, that's what I do. <laughs> so, uh, we're, we're, so how's we're your doing, work coming? Yeah, we're doing what we can. So in, in the House and soon, fingers crossed, in the Senate, there are a set of bills that we refer to as the Big Tech Antitrust Bills, that would break up the companies. And by companies, I'm generally referring to Facebook, Google, Amazon, and Apple, would allow for the Federal Trade Commission to break up certain parts of their businesses, would prevent them from doing mergers or acquisitions like the Instagram and WhatsApp acquisitions, uh, mergers that are inherently anti-competitive. Users would have a better experience because innovation would become unleashed on these platforms. Why has it been so hard to get these laws passed? What are the arguments against regulation? Well, there's the conservative arguments that government shouldn't interfere. That's actually interesting because theory is that when there's a monopoly, the market has failed, right? A monopolistic company is not doing what is necessarily best for the market. It's doing what is, in this perverse way, best for it. So we would expect some some more conservative policymakers to to embrace antitrust reforms, but they don't always. <laughs> they tend not to. And so it, it, that is the, the sort of pro-corporate view. Another argument people make is that Facebook isn't actually in the business of communication. It provides those services, yes, but its business model is about advertising. Remember, Facebook is free, theoretically. What we exchange is our data and often our privacy, which the company then uses for that business model. 
And in the industry of advertising, Facebook is far from monopolistic. So its executives say breaking it up would be illogical. Here's Nick Clegg, Facebook's vice president for global affairs and communications. I don't believe Facebook is a monopoly. And by the way, on the key sort of engine room by which Facebook makes money, which is on the digital uh, advertising uh, market, I think the latest estimates suggest we we have about a 20% share of that market here in the United States. Some of our competitors have a far, far larger share than that. A judge will rule on the FTC's right to sue Facebook in the next month. But in the meantime, people around the world continue to be dependent on Facebook and its apps. And that reality struck hard once again in the middle of my chat with Alex on Friday. Alex, so I have slightly bad news for all of us again. As we're doing this interview, one of the topics that's beginning to trend on Twitter is the fact that Instagram appears to be down again. <laughs> Lovely. So if we see this happen again, do you think there's going to be a pivot or are we too late for that? Are people too reliant on these apps and these companies to be able to pivot our lives successfully? There's a boycott out there now about logging out of Facebook. Boycotts are really good messages, but when you have 2 billion users and we're talking about a a ragtag group of activists trying to get people to log out, that's not actually the solution, right? That is a way to get attention and maybe make the company make some changes around the margins. But in order to get these companies to fundamentally change how they do their business or the dominance they have in our lives, it's going to take government intervention government is going to have to step in to solve this problem. Alex, how did you spend your blackout day? What did you do the day that Facebook and Instagram and WhatsApp were down? (laughs) I spent a lot of time on Twitter laughing about it, which a lot of people did. And it was only the, the next couple days that I started thinking about what it meant for people who didn't have other alternatives, right? If, if you are in a country where your internet is tied directly to your Facebook usage, if it goes down, you don't get to call your mom, right? You don't or text your mom. Or if your business is on those platforms and that's the primary way you interact with your consumers and it goes down, what do you do, right? You lose that day of business, basically. And it was fun to poke fun at them and it was fun to talk about how we can go you know, do other things. But for people who can't, that's, it's not fun. It's enormously disruptive. And then, of course, the next day stories were about what Zuckerberg lost in stock value, not about the millions of users and small business users who were suddenly unable to conduct their business because some engineer screwed up. That is the story that makes this such a problem. And that's The Take. This story, obviously, is a huge ongoing conversation right now, and we want to hear what you're thinking. But if you'd prefer not to use the apps we talked about today, we're also on Twitter at AJTheTake. This episode was produced by Priyanka Tilvey, with Nagin Oliai, Ruby Zaman, Alexandra Locke, Ney Alvarez, Amy Walters, and me, Malika Bilal. Aya Elmilek is our engagement producer. Alex Roldan is our sound designer. Steve Lack mixed this episode. Tom Finton is the Take Story editor, and Stacey Samuel is executive producer. We'll be back.